Well, we have talked about identity, we've talked about vocation, we've talked about well-being, we've talked about church engagement. We've got three weeks left, tonight and two more weeks. And so tonight and next week, we're going to talk about relationships. Now, remember that this all came from a study done by Barna Research. Now, there's an organization that's out of Arkansas, it's called Better Man, and they've put together a curriculum to take men through for 12 weeks, and I've been looking through, Tim and I've looked through some of that material, it's great material, but basically, Better Man Organization uh, hired Barna Research to go and do some research with men and kind of discover what are those main topics that men need to hear. And those were the five areas that consistently they found men need to be spoken into about. These five areas. Um, identity, vocation, well-being, relationships, and church engagement. And so we want to take this week and next week talk about relationships, and then we'll come back the very last week and do something just a little bit different. And so I started thinking, you know, how are we going to start off tonight? And, and, you know, when you think about relationships, some people just go straight to think about marriage. Some people go straight to thinking about their relationship with the Lord. Some people think about friendships with other people. Some people may think about the, the buddy they play golf with. Somebody may think about the best friend they grew up with. Somebody may think about their parents or siblings. So there's a lot of different relationships that we deal with. That's not even including bosses, employers, other people we work with. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a lot of relationships we deal with. And so I want to talk just a little bit tonight about what God's Word says specifically about relationships. But I thought before we do that, let's just do this at the table together. And so I want to throw it back to the table for a table discussion real quick. And this is the question, I'm gonna, and I'll tell you who mine was. Who was your closest friend you had growing up and why were you so close to them? Okay, so if you call them a best friend, closest friend, whatever the case may be. So when I was born, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little transparent here. I was born um, about seven weeks premature, and uh, I had some, some developmental issues with my lungs and things like that. But I was also born with something very interesting with my feet. First of all, I was to the extreme of being pigeon-toed, so much so that both my feet came completely inward. And the doctor said, hey, at some point, we're going to need to do surgery. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you something else, and this will just show you how interesting I am. I was born with 12 toenails. Now, I know that's weird, but uh, on the, the insides of my big toes, there was actually toenail beds and toenails. And the doctor said, listen, we ought to just take these out because he's going to ruin all his socks and shoes. So I went through surgery the day I was born to remove my 11th and 12th toenails. So those of you that thought I was weird, Jeremy, you now know that it is true. Um, but when I was born, I had this extreme pigeon-toed issue, and I, as I began to learn to walk, began to, they began to realize very quickly that I was going to have a lot of problems. And the doctors wanted to do surgery, and long story short, my parents just couldn't afford it. And so my dad, as I started to grow and get a little older, he started saying, hey, your mind can help shape what your feet do. And he said, what we're going to do is every step you take from now on, out loud, we are going to say, keep your feet straight, keep your feet straight, keep your feet straight until it just becomes a habit that you're internally saying that. And over the next three to four years, unbelievable, the Lord healed me, my feet began to come outwards. So much so that now, I, unless I get really tired, they don't really go inwards that much. But when I was seven years old, I was at church, and I, we were playing in a gym very similar to this, and I kept tripping because my feet were still pointed in. And there was a new kid that went to church there. His name was Chris Kilman. And Chris thought so that he could become the most popular guy in the church, he would make fun of me. And a bunch of other people jumped in, and so it just became probably the worst night I had ever had as a seven-year-old. 
And I went home and told my mom. Well, my mom's immediate response is to get used to, you had like a directory book for the church. And she immediately pulls that dude out, starts looking for Kilman, and she calls Nancy Kilman, doesn't know who she is. She said, Nancy, you don't know who I am. Here's what's happened. And so she, she tells her the story. And all I know is, is that my mom said, I don't know what's happening at that house, but let me just tell you, Chris Kilman's getting disciplined right now because she heard his name being yelled as the phone got hung up. The next week, that boy walked up to me and just weeping like a three-year-old little child, he said, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry. And what happened is the Lord redeemed that relationship and he became my best friend over the next probably about 10 years. And it was amazing to see how he became protective of me over those next few years. And as our relationship blossomed, and so when I asked the question, who was the closest person you were to when you were younger, my answer to that would be the guy that was always looking out for me. And he always had my back after that day. And we just became this really great team and a close friendship. So I want you to discuss it. It could be a best friend, could be your parents, could be a grandparent, could be a teacher, it could be a PE teacher, could be a coach. But who was that person that was closest to you when you were growing up and why? You got about five minutes, go. All right, guys. I hope you were able to talk a little bit about that around the table and reminisce just a little bit about maybe somebody that impacted your life when you were younger. And just by a show of hands, does anybody still have that friend in their life? Wow, that's awesome. That's, that's incredible. My uh, buddy Chris's dad, uh, when we were juniors in high school, they were playing basketball in the driveway and his dad had a heart attack and died in his arms. And he and I stayed close for a couple years and just kind of lost track of each other. And as I was thinking about tonight, I thought, I'm going to call him. And so that's kind of my action step this week is to call and reconnect with him for sure. Well, I just want to give you three observations tonight about relationships. And uh, the first one I want to give you, we'll see in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So he literally says, we've created in, in, in my image. He's created both men and women. And then I want you to hear what it says in verse 28. It says, so God blessed them, meaning Adam and Eve, and God said to them. And I think that's so important. We, we skip over it so often that literally God spoke to Adam and Eve. And if you skip by that, we'll quickly forget that he is a very relational, very loving, very kind and compassionate God because up until this point, what we've seen in Genesis chapter one, in, in, in actuality, the first 26 verses, in other words, all the Bible that had been written up until this verse, all we see is this awesome, powerful, almighty God. And oftentimes we keep our mind on that awesome, powerful, almighty God and it makes him seem distant and not personal. And so I want to remind you, the first observation is that he created us to be relational. You see, the reality is God doesn't need you or I, but God does desire to have a relationship with us. See, I don't believe, when I look in Scripture, that God needs you and I for him to keep on going. God is fully sufficient within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's completely sufficient within that right there. He doesn't need you and I, but what's amazing is is that he invites you and I to be adopted sons of his. You know what that means? 
It means not only did he create you and I to be relational, but he desires to be relational as well. And I think oftentimes we forget that. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God literally looks at them and says, listen, you should go fill the earth, have babies, and you should work. You know, we oftentimes think about work as being difficult and hard and it's never gonna be fun and it's not enjoyable, but the reality is, he says right here that, that you're to go and work. And remember, there was no sin in the world at this particular time, so work was a good thing. Work was something that they should enjoy to do. And I believe the reason that they were to be able to enjoy doing it is because of the relational side of who God created them to be. He created them to be relational. He, he created them to have relationships with both husband and wife, and he created us to have relationships with him. Now that has not even him bringing anybody else into the world yet. So you've got God, you've got Adam, you've got Eve. He created them to be relational with one another. He created them to be relational with him. And so that's the first observation I want to see. You say, that's so, that's so simple. Well, you know, oftentimes I think what we do with the Bible is we take it and we make it so complex and we forget that Jesus says it takes the faith of a child. And I think our job oftentimes is to take the complexities of Scripture and simplify them in a way that we can understand them. Now, I'm not saying take them out of context. And I'm not saying take them to a place where they don't mean what they meant when he wrote the word. But I'm saying be able to take it and understand it the best of our abilities. And so the best thing that I can see right here for us to understand is that he created us to have relationships. And you know what I can say about it? Relationships are hard. Relationships are difficult. Some relationships are easy. Those guys of you in this room that held up your hand that said you still have those friends that you had when you were a kid, I'll be honest, I'm a little jealous of that. That's amazing that you still have those relationships. And I, I would be willing to say that those relationships have been pretty easy over the years. They're people that you really enjoy being around. I have a guy that I had lunch with today. We haven't seen each other in a year. We sat down at Corky's right over here in Germantown Road, and it's as if he had never moved out of state. We just picked up right where we left off. And you know what? That relationship's easy. I can't say that about all of them because sometimes they're very difficult. So he created us to be relational. All right. I want to do another table discussion here, and here's the question I want you to ask in regards to today. What relationship outside of your immediate family has been an ongoing encouragement to you? This could be a mentor, could be somebody that's discipling you, could be a parent, uh, not, no, not immediate family. It could, it could be a boss, it could be a Sunday school teacher, it could be, could be a friend you've grown up with and spent a lot of time around, it could be somebody you went to college with. But somebody that's speaking into your life right now that's encouraging you, what relationship do you have right now that is speaking into your life and encouraging you? You got about three or four minutes to discuss it around your table. Ready, set, go. All right, guys. I hope that you have a relationship that you were able to talk about around the table. Second observation I want to make will be from Matthew chapter four. We're going to skip around just a little bit. And here's a second observation. Isolation invites temptation. Isolation invites temptation, even when the isolation is for a good thing. So listen to what happens to Jesus. It's a familiar passage in Matthew chapter four. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
I don't know how many times I've read this passage, and it was just a two or three years ago. And Michael, I think it was when we were preaching a family worship that I like this really ever dawned on me that I always just guess I kind of read through it so quickly that the Spirit had led Jesus into the wilderness to pray and fast for his ministry. But don't skip over what it says right here. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, God allows us to go through some crazy things sometimes. And I've heard people say, well, God would never allow that to happen. Well, I don't know that you've read Job then. Because the way I read Job, it was not the devil that asked God if he could tempt Job. It was God that said to the devil, hey, have you checked out Job lately? He's a pretty holy and upright guy. And so God allows us to go through things. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, how many of you know after 40 days, 40 nights, you're probably going to be hungry? Yeah, four, four hours, okay, I'm telling you. I couldn't wait to get to Corky's today for lunch, man. I hadn't had anything for like six hours. I was struggling. He was hungry. So Jesus, you know where it says, and and I apologize, I don't have this verse pulled up, where it says that he was tempted in all ways like us. This is it right here. It's in Hebrews. That's right. This is it right here. He went through this so that he could experience what you and I experience on a daily basis. Because physically, he had reached a point where he was hungry. Same thing happens to him in John chapter 4 when he's sitting at the well with the woman. Do you remember that story? The Bible says that they had been traveling, and he was weary. He was tired physically. Remember, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And so it says right here he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up, and the story goes on. The devil tempts him two other times. All three times, Jesus responds to him with Scripture. So, I, I make the statement of isolation invites temptation. And I believe that to be true. Because the devil is looking for just a little chink in your armor. He's looking to see, where, where does he struggle in? See, he doesn't tempt us with things that don't tempt us. He tempts us with things that are nice and shiny and things that draw our attention, and that doesn't look the same for every single one of us. The exact reason when you go fishing, no matter what you fish for, you have different types of lures, and you have different types of hooks, and you have different types of lines. You even have different types of fishing poles, and you even have different types or different times during the day that you will go and fish for certain types of fish. Why? Because they all will bite at different times and bite with different lures because different things look good to them. And a really good fisherman knows exactly what that fish has a hankering for. I used that word last night. My son said, what does hankering mean? I hope you get it in here, okay? But he knows exactly what that fish has a taste for. And that's exactly what the devil does. Notice that the devil comes right after him. And what does he say? He immediately attacks what? Jesus' hunger. He comes after Jesus at the exact place that he's weak in. And this is what I want you to understand. When you and I isolate ourselves both from the Father and also from other relationships that will speak into our lives and sharpen us, we are literally inviting the devil into our lives. Now, I heard Brother Steve say this a couple years ago. He was preaching on a Sunday morning, 
And he was talking about all the filth that's on TV. It's terrible. And he said, you know, the problem in today's society, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but this is basically what he said. He said, the problem in our culture today is that most people are inviting all this garbage. They're inviting Satan into their home through the form of movies and TV and, and entertainment. And by the way, they're paying for it. And the devil's coming into their home and he's slipping upstairs with their children. And that's exactly what's happening. And so what happens is when we isolate ourselves from friendships, from relationships, and from time with the Father, we have to fill that time because remember, we go back to observation number one, he created you and I to be relational. And so when we remove those relationships out of our life, we have to fill that time with something else. And that's the reason when you talk to people and ask them what they're watching, they can name about seven or eight TV shows and they're watching two or three or four or five hours a night and they're listening to the radio all day long because they've removed the relational side of who God's created them to be, both with him and both with other men, and we've replaced it with something else. You see, when you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. And so when you say, and I say, I'm not pointing my finger at you, when we say yes to more TV, when we say yes to more hobbies, when we say yes to more of those things that just feed our own flesh and all those things, we're saying no to something, and oftentimes that something's really good. And so isolation invites temptation. Jesus even saw that to be true in his own life. Now, how many of you know we've got relationships that are really good, and they're really easy to love those people? But sometimes there's relationships that are a little bit more difficult. Okay, two of you know what I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. You would cry at their funeral, but you don't want to go on vacation with them. Okay, that's the people we're talking about right here, okay? All right, everybody with me now? We all got that person in our mind or those people in our mind, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so I want to do another table discussion here. Now listen, if this person is at your table, it's not a good time to talk about that person, okay? This is not the time to name that person by name, okay? But here's the question I want you to discuss around your table. What has been the hardest relationship you've ever had and why? Now, this could be a boss that you dealt with at a job you used to have that you are so thankful you don't have that job anymore. This could be, like for somebody very close to me, their brother who has been in a cult for the last 20 years, and it's a really difficult relationship. And no matter how many years, 20 years, we've prayed and cried out and wept in front of the Lord, that the Lord would get a hold of his life. He continues to go down a path that's not good, and it is a rough, difficult relationship. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not asking you to name names. I'm not asking you to gossip. I'm just asking you to kind of put into context what's the most difficult relationship and why is that? Just talk about it for just a few minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right, guys. I hope that wasn't a gossip session for you around the table, but I think it's really good for us to know that we're not the only guy in this boat. Uh, have, have you ever had the thought, you're the only one dealing with this problem? Has that, has that, <laughs> Michael and I sat at lunch a couple weeks ago and I shared with Michael some, so just some things that I, and I told him, I said, I, I, am I the only one that deals with this? And he goes, I think you're normal. And I thought, oh, okay, great. I really, I really appreciated that, that response because I thought, you know, I, I just thought, I mean, and that's what Satan does. 
You know, he tempts us, he tempts us, and he gets us into this isolated moment in, in this isolated place, and then he blames us for being there. And then we get all stuck in this moment, and we think we're the only ones sitting right here, and, and no one else is dealing with this. So I think when we have moments like that, that we realize, hey, the other guys around our table, they've dealt with this same stuff, and I'm not abnormal for feeling this way, that it's really an encouragement to us. So it's not meant to discourage, it's actually meant to encourage to say, we are all in this together. Now, what I find interesting is we talk about relationships, and I said isolation invites temptation. We see Jesus being in the wilderness. He's hungry, he's tired, and the devil comes and tempts him. But notice Jesus did not fall to that temptation. Why was that? It was because his relationship with the Father was in tune. He was right in step with the Father. And so it was easy for him to respond with Scripture. Now, yeah, it's really easy for Jesus to respond with Scripture. He's the one that wrote it, okay? But it was also easy for him to respond with it because he was in tune with the Father. And so when we look at this whole idea of relationship, we need to understand that we have got to have this relationship right first before we ever begin to work on this relationship. And so when we talk about as husbands that we really need to work on our marriages, let me just tell you, I'm not saying press pause on your marriage. I am saying you better go after Jesus a whole lot harder than you're going after her because if you don't get that right, there's going to be nothing but issues here. And as a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about husbands loving your wives, a few verses before that, it says, wives, submit to your husband. Now, I came to this conclusion about six or seven years ago, the reason that ladies don't like the S word, that word submit, is because for so long, men have demanded something out of them that they weren't willing to do themselves. You see, if you read that passage, he calls you and I to submit to the Father and to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit. And that way, when she comes to submit to us, she's really just submitting to him because we're in line and in tune with the Father. But for so long, men have basically said, do as I say, not as I do. And so I would submit to you, we've got to get this relationship right first and then begin to work on these other things. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you're going to see the first few talk about your relationship with the Father and the last few talk about your relationship with man. And so when we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 22, which is a familiar passage, because we pick up in verse 34, and there are those guys. Everywhere we look in the Gospels, and in the New Testament, we see these guys called the Pharisees. And every time we read the Pharisees, we think, man, what was their problems? Well, I'll be honest with you, I think they were pretty much just average guys, all right? And they just had no idea who Jesus was, and they just had no idea what was going on. And they were so arrogant and stuck in their belief system, they couldn't see past the ends of their noses. And so here they are, it says, when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert of the law, don't you love that? He's an expert in the law. Well, don't you think he should be living a little different than he is right now if he's really an expert in the law? It says, ask the question to test him. Uh-oh, it's going to test Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, this is Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, it's very fascinating that he would say this to the Pharisees. 
because the Pharisees had taken the Ten Commandments and they had stretched them into about 5,000 commandments, so much so that it had become so legalistic you could barely get out of bed on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says to them, listen, everything hangs on these two things. You have so overcomplicated this thing that you're in a mess. Let me simplify it for you. You need to go after God with everything you've got. And then you need to go after people with everything you've got. And see, if you get that first one right, the second one's really easy. And so when we talk about that really difficult relationship, I've got a couple really difficult relationships that I've had for years, and I've, I've, thought, and I've prayed, Lord, is this ever going to get any better? I, I don't know if it will or not. I, I just keep praying. But you know what? It's never going to get any better if I'm not growing closer to the Lord and drawing closer to the Lord and seeking the Lord because he calls us to do that. I love how here at Bellevue our mission statement is love God, love people. That's the first two. Love God, love people. Where did, where did they get that? They got it right from right here in Matthew chapter 22 that we are to love God, That relationship with the Father, remember, he created us to be relational with him and then to love people. And I think that if we would think about it in the terms of those four simple words, it would simplify it for us just a little bit. I love what 1 John chapter 4 says in verse 7. It says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, we get a little bit confused sometimes. We say, Lord, it's really hard to love this person. Lord, it's really hard to love those people. Lord, it's really hard to love this guy. Lord, it's really hard to love that neighbor. It really isn't if we get alone with the Lord and ask the Lord to fill us with the Spirit because he talks about in Galatian the fruits of the Spirit. You see, we get hung up on that, that word fruits and we think those are things that you and I are supposed to bear. That's not what it says. It doesn't say the fruits of the Christian. It doesn't say the fruits of a godly man. It says the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, when you get alone with the Lord and you fill yourself up with the Spirit and you spend time with the Lord and the Lord begins to work through you, it is His fruits being lived out through you. And you know, the reality is when we get lost in His love, it's a whole lot easier to love others. It's a whole lot easier to love that guy that walks around my neighborhood that looks like he hates the world and will not wave. And no matter what you say, he's not going to talk to you. And and I just think, I'm I'm done with him. But when I spend time with the Lord and I see him walking down the road, I, I, I try to engage with him. And then I just pray for him. Why? Because that's the Lord through me. That's not me. That's the Lord. And so he says right there, he says, let us love one another because love is from God. You and I don't have the ability to love on our own. Not this type of love. I'm not talking about loving a cheeseburger. I'm not talking about loving a convertible. I'm talking about loving like Jesus loves. And in three verses later, 1 John 4, 10, it says, in this love, know that we loved God, the King James says, because he first loved us. You see, we can have love for other people because of the love that he's given to each and every one of us. So the, the, the last observation I want to make is this. Listen first, communicate second. Listen first, communicate second. Now part of communication is listening. If you're just moving your mouth all the time, that's not communication, that's a dictatorship. But I got to make sure I put that word listen because typically when we think communication, we think what we're saying. 
You see, in the morning, when you spend time with the Lord, I believe, I think you should open your time in prayer. This morning I got up and I just said, Lord, I don't know what you want to teach me today, but will you teach me? And then I just opened his word and began reading. You see, what that is, is that is the Lord speaking to me. If, you, if, you, if you've ever think, you know, the Lord's just not speaking to me, open his Bible. It says this is his word. This is his love letter to us. Open his Bible and read it, and God will be speaking to you. You say, I, I don't know about that. I heard Brother Steve one time say, somebody said to him, um, you know, uh, I, I've never heard God speak out loud. He said, well, open it up and just read it out loud, okay? There it is. That's the, that's the spoken word right there, okay? All right, but that's, that's listening. Listen. Don't think about what's happening today. Put this little thing down, okay? Get rid of this thing. Don't do it by the TV. Don't do this where the kids are, where your wife is. Don't be trying to cook breakfast and flipping eggs and reading this over here. Why? You, your wife doesn't want that from you. If you're going to go have a relationship with somebody, you're not going to sit there and be doing other stuff. You've got to engage. You've got to look them in the eyes. You've got to have an actual conversation with them. And so that's exactly what it is. You're listening to God. And then you communicate back to him. And one of the things that I've been trying to do is, is stop asking for so much stuff and start just praying back the things that I, th- I hear him saying. Lord, this morning, as a matter of fact, I'll read this to you real quick. Um, I'm sorry, I should have had this pulled up. But I texted my wife this morning when I got done um, reading and I said, uh, here we go. I read in Psalm 66, 20, blessed be God. He has not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love from me. Now, you know, we've probably read verses like that so many times. But I literally just, I felt like the Lord impressed upon me. I'm right here. I'm not leaving. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and that's a promise I've known since I was a little boy. But I prayed that back. Thank you that you're not abandoning me. Thank you that you're not leaving. And I texted to my wife this morning. We'd just been praying through a couple of things. And I texted her and said, aren't you thankful that that promise rings true today? Because he tells us his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm thankful that he's a relational God. I'm very thankful that he loves us in such a way, and it's because of that love that you and I can love. So this third observation is listen first, communicate second. That's in our relationship with the Lord, but can I also just say that's in our relationship with people. That's in our relationship with people. That guy that's difficult to have a relationship with, just sit down and listen to him. Sit down and listen to him. I had a a, a relationship, a, a friendship with a guy in college and he did not love the Lord. He wasn't living for the Lord. As a matter of fact, he was living as far from the Lord as possible. And, and, and to be quite frank with you, he had stolen some stuff. And he was, he was, there was a mess. The police were involved. And, and I was just personally very angry at this guy. And I just wanted to lash out at him. And so I said to him, I passed by him on the way to a class one day. And I said, hey, man, what's your problem? And this is what he said. He goes, you don't know who I am. You have no idea what I've gone through. I didn't know what he meant, and he just kept on walking. Later that night, I'm walking to my dorm room, and he's sitting outside on the stairs, and he's on the phone, and he's crying. He's weeping. And so right as I was about to walk by, he hangs up the phone, and I just stopped by and said, Chris, what's the, what's the issue? And he said, well, he said, you know, growing up, my, my, he said, my old man, he said, my old man was an alcoholic. 
and he beat me every night. My mom left when I was five years old, and he just goes through this story that's just as bad as you could possibly get. And I started crying because I realized I had judged him based off one thing that I had seen out of him, and I had no idea who he was. And you see, I was trying to communicate all these things without actually listening to where he was. And you know what? I found that to ring true in my marriage as well. I'm very quick to come home and just kind of pop off and say, you know, I'll tell you what, this is what you should have done. Boom, 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 boom. She said, well, you don't, you don't even know what happened. And I'm a great communicator, but I'm not a great listener. So observation is listen first. You know, even Jesus, when he was there in Matthew chapter four, he didn't cut the devil off right at the beginning. He listened to what he had to say and then he rebuked him with the word of God. And so I would encourage you to listen first, communicate second. Okay, I want us to go to the table, back to the table, and I want you to discuss this next question. What relationship do you need to work on? You say, I don't, I don't know if I can discuss this around this table. Well, if it's somebody at the table, maybe you should think of the second person, second relationship you need to work on. You say, well, I don't know if I want to say my marriage because I don't want them to think my marriage is bad. And it doesn't mean anything's bad. And I could tell you, I, as today when I was sitting at my desk typing up the last few things for this, I wrote a name out to the side on my little journal right there. And I said, this is the relationship I want to focus on this next week. It's a phone call I need to make. It's a lunch I need to set up. And it is an apology this guy needs to hear from me face to face. Handwritten notes are great. Text messages can only do so much. He needs to look into my eyes and he needs to see that I'm sorry. They say that 75 to 80% of communication is body language and it's nonverbal. He needs to see the remorse. I think about David in Psalm 51. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture because we look at David and, and the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart, but we think about all the things he did and we think, good night, he was not a very nice person. And then we see what he does in Psalm 51. It's when he literally pours out his heart to God and he says, renew a steadfast spirit inside me, refresh me, cleanse me, and he just pours out his heart to God. And he says against you alone have I sinned. And he just, it's this beautiful picture of a man that is absolutely broken. And you see, I think oftentimes we get confused and think that God is looking for these perfect men to stand up and be perfect men of God. And you know what? He does want us to follow him. He does want us to be obedient. But all throughout scripture, he uses guys that messed up time and time again, but they came back broken and repentant. And so I want to encourage you. There's a relationship I know right now. I know for a fact, every single one of you in this room, there's a relationship that you need to work on. Maybe you need to write a note. Maybe it's your dad. And you need to make a phone call. Maybe it's your mom. You haven't told her you've loved her in 10 years. Maybe it's a sibling that you haven't spoken to in many years. Maybe it's a guy you used to work at down at a different job and you were both going for the same promotion and he got it and you left mad and he didn't even really know you didn't even like him. And you need to go back and apologize. Maybe it's the neighbor 
that lives on either side of you or across the street from you that you have never spoken to ever and they don't even know you're a Christian. But there's a relationship you need to work on. So I want you to discuss it just for a few minutes around that table. You've got about five minutes just to bring up, it doesn't have to be a name. You don't even have to say how they're related to you or anything like that. And then I want someone at that table just to close out and pray that this week, the men around that table will have the boldness to advance the conversation with that individual. In other words, you may make an attempt. You know, the guy that I'm gonna call may not answer my phone call. I may have to keep trying, but I wanna advance that, I wanna make progress. I want him to know that I'm, I'm making that attempt. So I want somebody at the table in about five minutes to close in prayer that the men around that table would have the boldness to work at a relationship in their lives. You got about five minutes and then someone close it out in prayer.